I think I can sum up the show for you with one word. Nothing. And now, giving you access to the locker rooms and the minds of the independent scene, here are the curtain jerkers of pro wrestling podcasting. Mike Crockett. Actually, I prefer to be called Maestro. And the kingpin, Brian Malonis. He's the win, and nobody beats him. This is the wrestling podcast about nothing on the New Age Insiders Network. Welcome to the wrestling podcast about nothing on the NAI Network, episode 60, presented by BDARadio.com. There are so many pro wrestling podcasts out there covering every facet of the business. So we went to BDA Radio and said we had a different idea for a podcast. Everybody's doing something. We'll do nothing. They said, what's wrestling podcast about? We said nothing. And thankfully, they said, we think you may have something here. So here we are. My name is Mike Crockett. I'm a longtime independent wrestling referee in the Northeast, currently on an extended hiatus from the ring. And joining me as always is a veteran of the New England Independent Mat Wars, the Irresistible Force, the Immovable Object, the Grand Champion of Gargalyrics, the Kingpin, Brian Malonis. <laughs> well, we did do rounds. And gargalyrics, didn't we? <laughs> it was a round system, yes. <laughs> I'm exhausted. You're exhausted again. Yeah, so I was. I got home late last night, uh, and we do have a couple of guests today, but the three of you have all forgotten what it's like to have bookings and get home late, and you, you, bu- you book me uh, early in the morning at this ungodly hour. I apologize for that. We'll you don't look- apologize at all. That's insincere. You don't mean it. <laughs> Anything to make me miserable, you love. Well, you'll just sit there and probably fall asleep during this thing. Perhaps. So. <laughs> you don't. You don't have notes. Just, just-, just just like our audience does when you do your long reads. Oh, that's not even nice. It's not even nice. I'm sure that'll be cut out. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, today on the Wrestling Podcast about nothing on the NAI Network, we've got your promo about nothing and a whole lot more. But first, way back in episode 30, we did a special podcast looking at one of New England's most influential personalities, the late Boston bad boy Tony Rumble, with our friend, ring announcer Rich Palladino. I encourage you to go back and check that one out. This week, 30 episodes later, it's episode 60, we are discussing another of the founding fathers of New England pro wrestling, someone whose influence is still felt today, probably never more so than right here, where we are right now, Brian, the New England Pro Wrestling Academy. He's a man who spent years in the WWE and WWF developmental system, one of the most talented performers in that system that never got a shot, but his gift was put to good use when he returned to New England and shared them through his wrestling school, the Top Rope Wrestling Academy, and his promotion, the WFA. His name was Steve Bradley, and we've got two of the people he impacted the most right here to talk about him. First, he's the owner of this fine establishment, the New England Pro Wrestling Academy, and one of Steve's most successful students, he's Brian Fury. Hello. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> you finally gave back the hello. I give the hello every week to Brian, and he's just like, "What's up?" He just never gives me the good, uh, you know, Uncle Leo hello. I'm glad. I'm glad Fury's here. I was just wondering how I get a shot at the Firebrand Championship. Ooh, we got to talk to Mr. Antonucci about that one from the XWA. From the XWA, yes. There is a new Some championship. interesting rules with that title, which I was unaware of. You have to beat the champion by submission to win the belt. You can win the match by pinfall, but you don't win the belt. Really? You have to win it by submission. Is that is that an honor of uh, I, uh, of I, your branding I iron? Yes. Yeah. Huh. Bri- little known fact: Brian Brian Fury was the first guy to ever make me tap out in a pro wrestling ring. Really? Yeah. And it took like what fifteen years? 
14? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't let it happen. <laughs> <laughs> just shows the strong. amount of respect, right? <laughs> stay, stay strong. Yes. Or, the, or the amount of zeros on the check. <laughs> That's not true. Malone also it was usually chaotic. kicks out at four. So. <laughs> <laughs> Three and a half. <laughs> All right, well, let's bring in our other guest here. He is one of New England's greatest unsung talents and one of Steve's closest friends, Alex Arion. Hello, sir. Hi. Hi. <laughs> What's going on? Uh, it's kind of a reunion of uh, last yeah. December when we yeah. all got together after Brian's last match. Yes, and kayfabe is still dead. It, it is. <laughs> it is. We're going to do it again. We're going to do right, it again. Kill it. Fury's already had Even two more. comebacks, I've heard. Really? What? No. <laughs> <laughs> I did a run-in, yeah. and, I, and I, he was a, I presented a title. That's it. Wow. You did a run-in? Yeah, that super kick. Cody See? Two, co- two comebacks. Wow. <laughs> After all you put yourself through, Alex. Jeez. I'm so glad I came back <laughs> for your last match. <laughs> in quotes. <laughs> you're just mad because your bum knee won't let you do a run in. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who are you looking at, Alex or Brian? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully, my knee doesn't go out again during this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, guys, we're here to talk about Steve Bradley, who, as I said, is very influential in New England pro wrestling. Alex, you're one of uh, Steve's closest friends. Yes. And what yeah. do you know about his early life before he got into wrestling? Before he got into wrestling? Yeah. Jeez, uh, as far as I know, he was always into wrestling. Oh, uh, yeah? Uh, when he was, I want to say it was 11 years old, he started his own, uh, the Kids Wrestling Federation. <laughs> the, the KWF. The KWF, wow. Yeah. And uh, he and a bunch of kids from his school would put on shows in a ring that he and his dad built. And they actually used to draw houses. <laughs> they used to draw people. Yeah, I mean, I think he was just always into wrestling as far back as he could remember anyway, you know? He just... Where did he grow up? He he grew up in Raymond, New Hampshire. Okay. Uh, I want to say he was born in Pelham, New Hampshire. Um, and I think when he was seven or eight, he moved to Raymond. I could be wrong about the age, but it was right around seven, eight, nine years old. He moved to Raymond, and that's where he started the Kids Wrestling Federation. I saw a lot of those tapes, and oh, yeah. they were awesome. <laughs> yeah, do, doing shows in actual yeah. buildings like, and stuff. Yeah, at, really? Like, drawing oh, yeah. like over over 100 plus people and oh, stuff. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he told me plenty of stories. Yeah, they would sell tickets, and mm-hmm. both of his parents would help out, and then it's just a bunch of 12, 13-year-old kids putting on mm-hmm. matches and wrestling shows, and they're outdrawing a lot of the independents in New England nowadays. Yep. Now, <laughs> was he running it? Or, yeah, or? he was running it. He would. Yeah, He booked it, came up with characters, gimmicks. Oh, um, yeah. oh yeah, he did everything. Yeah, and he was like 11 <laughs> years old kind of preparing himself for what happened later on pretty much yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, yep. that's tremendous yeah so i mean he did the backyard stuff but he did did he get official training no 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 okay. he never did um Crocker, who the hell is gonna train an I 11 mean, year old <laughs> well, like, it's it's funny like he started wrestling shows yeah he got like, on actual he got on actual shows uh i want to say it was for jeff costa first okay um the lobster man the lobster man yeah, yeah. He and his and uh, a good buddy of of ours, Dan, they they went to a show. They like one of the Lost Ranch shows. Said we want to we want to wrestle for you, and um, they they weren't trained or anything. And Jeff said to them, if, "If Brian, you might know this story, so jump in if I if I miss right. anything up." But um, he went to Jeff and said, "Yeah, we want to wrestle on your show." And Jeff said, "Well, what can you do?" And they just started having a match on the floor, like they weren't even in the <laughs> ring. They were just taking bumps and suplexing each other on the floor. And Jeff's like. I got to have these guys. These guys are crazy. Yeah, you that's, know? that's Jeff for you. Yeah. So, <laughs> it, yeah. And, and um, that's how he started wrestling on shows. And then for a short time, there was a guy who I have never met. 
but I heard a million stories about Silvano Souza. And he, I guess he used to be a jobber for yes. WWF back in the like late way 70s back. or something like that. Something yeah. like that, yeah. And he took Steve under his wing and like started showing him stuff about the business, teaching him essentially, you know, how to work and not just take bumps and that kind of thing. And that was something that Steve never really wanted to talk about. He didn't talk about their falling out. He just said he hated the guy, whatever. But I know they were close for about eight or nine months. Yeah, so. and I know that Brian. This is where you first saw Steve Bradley. You went to a Sousa show yeah, in New like Hampshire, Man- Yeah, Manchester, New Hampshire. It was super bad. Steve Bradley, right? Yep. Versus <laughs> versus the outlaw Jim Cody, aka oh. Duke Stalton. <laughs> you know, and I think I think it was like a stretcher match or something, like a Sicilian stretcher match or some Sicilian makes sense, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Put those two guys in a Sicilian stretcher. Yeah, match. why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, is that like Saint? St. Cecilia's, Cecilia's Hall. Hall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think is now like the PAL in Manchester, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. yep. Alex, when did you first meet Steve? How? Oh, wow, this is a good story. Um, <laughs> so I initially went and trained out in Lima, Ohio. I trained at Al Snow's Body Slammers Wrestling Gym. This would have been in 96. Now, you, you're from this area, I'm right? Fr- and I'm you went out Manchester, there. Manchester, New Hampshire, yeah. Okay. And I went out there. Um, I don't want to make this about me or anything, but yeah, I... I Whatever I sent out, you know, to get information from all kinds of schools, and um, the info packet I got back from Al Snow School was the one that I said, okay, this makes sense for me. It's five days a week, whatever you get to live there, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, I, I trained out there in late '96. I came back to Manchester. I didn't have a car, so I said, okay, and I didn't have any money left, so I got a bunch of jobs. And one of my jobs that I worked at was a GNC. And it was all in like a little shopping plaza. So I worked at a GNC, I worked at a Hannaford supermarket, and I worked at New Hampshire State Liquor Store. They were all in the same plaza. So <laughs> I'd leave you know, my full-time job at the supermarket and then go to either GNC or the liquor store for one of my two part-time jobs. You just so, change shirts and just go there? Uh, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um, because I needed to save money to buy a car because I had to drive to wrestling shows. So um, I was working at GNC and... Uh, I'm sorry... Tying into St. Cecilia's, I had gone, after I trained, I'd come back to Manchester, I'd gone to a St. Cecilia's show, and I tried to get in the back, and I'd never worked anywhere yet, you know, I'm still just brand new, like I haven't done anything, and I tried to get in the back to introduce myself, just to try to, you know, start making some contacts and get booked, and I was turned away by, I don't even know who it was, but somebody turned me like, they're like, yeah, no, you're not, you're not a wrestler, get out of here, whatever, you, you know, buy a ticket, I'm like, okay, so I bought a ticket, because I don't know any better, you know, brand new. Uh, so I bought a ticket and I watched the show and I saw Steve. He was in a cage match and I want to say it was with Cody. I want to say it was with, uh, yeah, I want to say that's who it was, who it was with. Like a legendary yeah, feud. Yeah, those guys wrestled forever. <laughs> so um, anyway, fast forward a couple months and I'm at GNC and this guy comes in, you know, bigger kid, all tanned and um, he's wearing a baseball hat and he's with another guy who turned out to be our friend Dan and they're buying some protein and stuff and at GNC, you get um, commissions off of whatever protein of the month you sell or whatever. So Steve knew what he wanted. He bought whatever. And, I, and Dan's like, oh, what, what should I get? What's a good thing to get? You know, asking me for advice. I'm like, well, you should try this protein up here because I'm thinking oh, I'll get some money, you know? <laughs> such an asshole. Such a um, worker. Yeah, such a, yeah, even then. So uh, whatever, they, they buy their stuff. And Steve had noticed like behind me on the counter, I had a 
an ECW hat because I had gone to Al Snow's to train, and at the time he was in between WWF and ECW doing, you know, whatever, going back and forth. He was Leaf Cassidy, then he was Al Snow and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So he would come to the classes and he'd bring us like, you know, random T-shirts, hats, gears, stuff like that. So I had an ECW hat just sitting on the counter behind me, not thinking anything of it. And Steve's like, oh, ECW, cool. Yeah, I, I just wrestled for them. And I went, what? And then, you know, and then I'm like, oh, well, I'm a wrestler. You know, it's like, yeah, sure. Okay. And they're looking at me like, oh, yeah? Where, where have you wrestled? And I'm like, oh, well, I actually just got trained, you know, explain the whole thing to them. And he's like, oh, no kidding. Oh, that's cool. So, uh, all right. So, thanks. Anyway, see you later. Whatever. <laughs> Bye. Like, all right. Yeah, I mean, there was a little bit more of an involved conversation, but the next day I'm working at the liquor store and I see, oh, oh, that's right. I'm sorry. I left that apart. So, I checked them out. I'm like, oh, these guys are cool. I'll give them my employee discount. So, I give them 20% discount oh. on, their, on their supplements. I'm like, oh, these guys are cool. Whatever. And I'm not think you know, and I'm thinking about it. I'm like, is that the kid that I saw at Saint Cecilia's Hall in the cage match? Because he looked familiar, but I didn't put it together just yet. I'm like, man, he looks so familiar. So uh, next day, I'm at the liquor store working, and I see them, you know, through the window walking into GNC, and I see Dan's got the bag of protein. I'm like, oh man, he's probably returning it because he sees <laughs> this stuff is junk. <laughs> so, um, but I'm, but I'm like, All right, well, I see him walking in there, whatever. So I pick up the phone, I call over to the GNC, and I tell the kid that's working, I'm like, hey, those two guys that just walked in, the one with the baseball hat and the other guy, they're buddies of mine. Give them my employee discount if they're buying something. Give them my twenty percent discount. And the kid's like, oh, okay, that's fine, cool. So that was it. You know, I'm not thinking anything. I'm just like, ah, I'll do something nice. These guys are cool, whatever. 10, 15 minutes later, they come into the liquor store and they're like, hey, just want to say thank you for, you know, giving us that discount. That was really nice of you. Thank you, you know, for calling over or whatever. And Dan's like, yeah, that that protein, I didn't really like it. I'm like, yeah, sorry, man. I, sorry. <laughs> you know, and I explained the whole thing. You know, we get paid on commission. I just figured I'd try, you know, whatever. He's like, oh, no, that's cool. That stuff was gross. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So um, at is, that point- This is Dan Nighthawk, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, Dan Nighthawk. So at that point, Steve, you know, gives me his phone number. And he's like, "Hey, listen, we were talking, and we have a ring in the basement of Saint Cecilia's Hall in Manchester." And I'm like, "Saint Cecilia's, that's where." And that's when I made the connection. Like, "Oh, this is the same kid that I saw in the cage match. This kid's freaking awesome." And um, he's like, "You know, if you ever want to come down and work out with us, you know, here's my number. Give me a call. This is the days we train, and just come down. We'll work out." I'm like, "All right, cool. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it." And, you know, months later, Dan and Steve both told me they said that they walked out of the liquor store <laughs> and um, they said, man, he, he's kind of cool. And Steve goes, yeah, he's definitely a friendship material. <laughs> so I'll never forget that because it's just kind of one of those like cheesy things. But it's like so cool because anybody that really knew Steve knows that he had three or four really close friends and that was it. Other than that, he didn't really let a lot of people into his inner circle. So I was very fortunate. But that's how we met. I, that was that was that was a long story. No, no, that was, that's, <laughs> sorry, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> um, so he was working for Sousa, and as you said, there was some sort of falling out, and who knows what's yeah. happened there. Um, where I first met him was NWA New England, and you and I, Alex, actually first met there as well. Yes. Um, yeah. I guess what happened was he started working for NWA New England, and a lot of times Jim Cornette would be on those shows. Yep. He was working for WWE, Jim Cornette, and yep. he lived in Connecticut. He had a friendship with Tony Rumble, and he'd come out and work for Tony. Yep. But apparently, um, Jim Cornette saw something in in Steve on those <laughs> shows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what did you hear from like Steve about his relationship with Cornette? 
he was really close with Jim, and um, Jim was like a father figure to him for for a while. I mean, obviously not right off the bat, but yeah, Jim's the one that got him his his tryout. Jim's the one that got him essentially got him his job, and yeah, he he loved Jim. And anybody that's ever been around Jim Cornette, I mean, I don't know how he how he was later on, but at that time, he was just like so awesome. I got to hang out with Cornette a lot when Steve got me booked down in Memphis, and just what a good guy. I mean, he's a fired up. Right, temper, right. You know, he's got a temper on him, and watching <laughs> that is just legendary. But yeah, no, he's a good guy, and and they had a really close relationship. It was like kind of like a, I don't want to say father son, but it was very. They were very close. Like Jim really put a lot, gave had a lot of time for Steve. Let's just put it that way, and he taught him a lot of stuff. You know, Steve learned a lot under Jim. So he essentially got him his developmental deal yes. in nineteen ninety eight. It was ninety eight. Yeah, yeah, early um, ninety eight. So. Where did he go from there? Like, was he part of the Funkin' Dojo? He that was. whole thing? Yeah. Okay. And yep. so that would, if people don't know, before developmental, Dory Funk had these like camps with uh, recent signees and people that they were considering signing yep. where they'd uh, train under him. I don't know if it was a week long thing. Yeah, it was usually a week long. He would go down um, in Stanford at their TV studio, I believe, okay. where they had a ring set up. The tracks. Tra- is that tracks, what it was called? Something like that. Yeah. So it wasn't tough enough. Yeah. Well, yeah. And he would go down there and he'd, re- in, he must have done two or three of those, I want to say. Then they started bringing him up to do local TVs. He'd do, you know, dark matches and stuff like that. And then they sent him to Memphis. Probably, probably the time like Edge, Christian, guys like that. I don't that think he was ever time. in any with no. those guys. Um, I know he was in one with Kurt Angle. He was, jeez. It was so long ago when he told me who he was. Yeah, it was but so he never brought people. up Edge and Christian. But there was always different guys, guys that didn't get jobs right away, but got jobs later. You know that kind of thing. So, but yeah, he was he was in two or three of them, and um, I, I remember he was in a bunch with Glenn Kolka and uh, Mick Tierney, mm-hmm. who ended up being with him down in Memphis. Vic Grimes is that would that Vic be one? Grimes? I don't Maybe know if later. he was in one or not. I know he worked with Vic a lot down in Memphis. Right, Vic and um, Crash Holly. Yeah. Erin yeah. O'Grady. Erin O'Grady. That's, yes. <laughs> yeah, like, that, was like, old, that was his old What was he before Crash? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. It was Erin O'Grady. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Kurt Angle. And of course, um, if anyone watched this year's WWE Hall of Fame, Kurt thanked Steve in his speech, yeah. uh, which is really cool. Um, him and Steve were linked immediately when he got down to Memphis. And I was watching that stuff. I was getting tapes at that time. I was a yep. big yep. nerd. And... <laughs> The, Still are. What are you talking about? Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> but what I what I noticed is at that time, Kurt Angle was you know straight laced baby face, like generic, and Steve's personality was almost what Kurt Angle's personality became when he yeah. went to WWF. Did you say the same thing? Absolutely. Yep. When Kurt, because Steve got signed before Kurt, and then when Kurt got signed, and they they had already sent Steve down to Memphis, and then when Kurt got signed, and they wanted him to go to Memphis, they told him to live together. They wanted Steve basically to show Kurt the ropes because Kurt knew nothing. Yeah. But they knew Steve wasn't an idiot and they could tell right away a kid can work and he's you know, he's got a head for the business. And with Cornette being down there, he basically linked them up together in a program so that he could basically teach Kurt how to work. And I mean, geez, I, I was with those guys for about six weeks in ninety eight. I'd gone down there uh to wrestle and it was it was unbelievable, like just going to the gym with those guys and then it was just it, oh man I, w- I wish I had like a you know like now you have like the reality TV and they get the camera with right, right. I wish there was a camera with us because it was just so much fun and you learned so much just being around Steve 
just all his knowledge that he had. And I mean, at the time, he's like brand new and developmental, but he's just, he was like a sponge. Like, he just picked up everything. And then. Yeah, he, he used to tell me stories. I would always sit at Gorilla when he wasn't yeah. wrestling, yep. listening to what whoever the people at Gorilla were saying and ask them questions. Why, why this, why that? At the yeah. TVs, he'd, yep. he'd be right there asking them why they're doing this, why this, and all that stuff. No matter who was there, was it Cornette, Dr. Tom, or whoever else? Yeah, didn't been matter there. who it was. Yeah, he was just soaking everything up that he could. Yep. I mean, um, in Memphis, it was uh, Randy Hales was running Power Pro Wrestling at the time, and he would just sit there and just talk to Randy about just different things and. It was just incredible because I, I can tell you honestly, everything I learned in wrestling, I learned from Steve. Like anybody that ever says Alex Aaron was, you know, he was good. Well, it's because I learned from him. You know, like I always give him credit because he's the one that taught me how to think, how to, you know, how to do everything. Because he was, like Brian said, he would just ask everybody everything because he knew that even though somebody may not be in the ring wrestling, if they're, you know, at a show, just running the audio or whatever, he would ask them questions because you can learn something from everybody, you know, and that's something that I always took away from him as well. You can learn something from everybody, even if they're not in the ring, they might be seeing something that you being so immersed in being a wrestler or being a referee or, or a manager or whatever, somebody, an observer on the outside might see something that you're not looking at through that lens and it can just make you that much of a more complete performer looking at stuff that way. And that was something Steve did. You know, he talked to everybody. He asked everybody for feedback, input. He was just a, he was a sponge. You know, he soaked it in from every direction. It was, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. And Fury, you kind of say the same thing. Even though you trained elsewhere before you went to Steve, you kind of, you know, credit Steve yeah, as your I mean, yeah, trainer I, and everything. I thought I was a pro wrestler. having been wrestling for like two or three years or something like that before Steve came home and I met him and started training with him. And then I realized like, I just kind of knew how to do moves and kind of put a, maybe a basic match together until Steve came around and I really actually learned pro wrestling and psychology and how to put a match together and how to work a crowd and everything else. Like he totally, like the blind was open like three inches and then Steve just pulled it all the way up and I, yeah. it was it was crazy. Insane, the, the difference between when he taught me and opened my eyes to things compared to what I thought I knew before. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about Puerto Rico, because the association with Memphis Power Pro Wrestling kind of went away, and Steve's next assignment was to go to Puerto Rico. Yeah. And something kind of... He was down there for a while, correct? Well, well yeah. they, they gave him the option. He told me the oh, story. Okay. They said, we have an option for you. Do you want to go to ECW, or do you want to go to Puerto Rico? And he said, well, what do you guys think I should do? And Dr. Tom said, well, I can't make the decision for you, but if I were you, I would go to Puerto Rico. And then from there, that's when he went down to Puerto Rico, and Al could probably pick up from there. But it's funny for me to think back, like, had the mofo character chosen ECW, how different things may or may not have been for yeah. him, the wrestling world, and us here in New England, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. So he got down to Puerto Rico. He was down there for how long? Oh my gosh. I want to say it was 18 months, almost two years. Yeah. And I, they, they legitimately forgot about him down there. They sent him down there and they forgot about him. It, it was unbelievable. It's unbelievable to me. And anybody, especially anybody that ever saw him wrestle or just saw him cut a promo, how could you forget about a guy that was that good? Yeah. You know, like he was 
he was unreal. Anybody that has not seen Steve, just YouTube him, please. And there's not watch. there's not a ton up there, which really? is terrible. Oh. Yeah, some stuff here and there kind of pop up once in a while, or every once in a while, one of his dark matches from TV will kind of show up on YouTube, or someone will pop it on uh, yeah Facebook somewhere, and I see it. And, but yeah, it's, but it's, he, it's, a lot of that footage from then isn't like. They're on some tapes and stuff. Like I got to go through my like tapes tape and try to get some. Stuff. Yeah. I'll give you some part, tapes like, of Puerto Rico that like, I have. Uh, um, really? Yeah, I've got I've got a couple of. Uh, and it's only matches I had with him down there. But I mean, it's his. That's when like the mofo gimmick really started to get to what it was later on. That's when he really started tweaking it and doing all his all his stuff. But yeah, I can I can I got some stuff I can give you. Awesome. Yeah. yeah let's talk about the the mofo thing. That yeah. um, before that, what would you consider his, as his character? He's just kind of like a funny, kind of smarmy, kind of asshole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably a good description of it. Like he would. Uh, I remember one of the criticisms he got early on. One of the critiques he got from the office in Memphis was when he would do his. Uh, any promos they said your facials you're too cartoony with your facial expressions because if he you know if he would look shocked or upset or surprised they said you're too animated you're too cartoony um and that's when he was sensational steve bradley um imagine being told you're too animated yeah i know i know right <laughs> could you tone kids. could you tone <laughs> sir could you tone down those emotions please yeah you're far so too crazy. entertaining <laughs> so when i teach kids now i'm like do something, anything, please. <laughs> right? Make some sort of face at all. Emote. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine saying, hey, you're doing way too much with your face and stuff. Yeah, no. they say, turn it up to 10. No, turn it back down to three or four. Yeah, give us, give us, yeah, give us, like, a, give us like a solid five and a half. <laughs> you know, and it's, we're joking about that, but that's like the kind of feedback and criticism he would get from the office. Because we used to talk, literally, we talked every day. If I wasn't with him, if I was back home, we would talk every day just about wrestling, how frustrated he was about certain things. And he would just tell me stuff, and I'm just going, is that what it's like when you get to that level? Because I'm not really sure that I want to make it that far. Do, do you think it's, any of that was like kind of the famous stories of WWE testing guys or just fucking with guys just to see how they react? Do you think any of it was that? It had to be, because just some of the stories I would hear, and I'm just like, Really? I mean, we'll get to it later on, for, but for for me, uh, not knowing Steve as really then only hearing stories, it could be that. But for me, I don't think looking back, they had any idea what they were doing with a developmental yeah, system. Really I agree. Back then. And Steve's I one agree. of the first guys, so he's kind of like the guinea pig test subject. Yeah. Like, yeah. hey, go here, go there, and not really knowing what to do with somebody that wasn't 100% ready for television yet at that point in time. But it's funny you say it like that because. He was ready for television right. at the time. They just didn't know what the heck to do with him, which is, it's just so, it's still mind boggling. But now at one point, I'm sorry to interrupt no, you, but okay. at one point I heard things that he was going to be a member of the Mean Street Posse. Is that yes. true? Yep. That was, he was, I got the call. Hey, watch Raw. I'm going to be on Raw. I'm going to be, uh, I'm really, going was to that close to happening? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to TV. Numerous I'm gonna be, occasions for yeah. a couple different oh, yeah. gimmicks. Yep. But yes. Uh, he, for, for a stretch there, he was at every TV. They were they were flying him to every TV. He was having dark matches. He worked with Kurt doing dark matches. I think he worked with Owen Hart a couple of times. Just different people. He worked with uh, Jason Arndt, who ended up being um, Joey Abs. Yep, Joey Abs <laughs> from the Mean Street Posse. Yeah, he was there all the time. And they told him, okay, go out get you know some preppy clothes, whatever, get the sweater vest, all the stuff that you saw those guys yeah. end up wearing. But yeah, they told him he was going to be a member of the Mean Street Posse. Yeah, it was. And then for whatever reason, they pulled him at the last minute and they put Jason Art in. Didn't the spot. he get sick or something like that when that was supposed to happen? 
it might have been something like that. I can't remember. He, yeah, I think I you're think right. It was really sick. I think you're right. Because then he, he was... looks back and said, "Well, I'm kind of glad that didn't happen because of the the gimmick." Yeah, and, yeah, and, and yeah. you know the, the longevity of it. He was kind of happy that he got sick when that when that. You're right. That's what it was. He was really sick. I think he had mono. That's yes. That's when he got mono. That's right. He got really sick. Pete Gass actually sick just talked about six, that seven in, weeks. His, in his in his book and on a couple of interviews that he has recently done. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. You said? Did you say Brian that there was something else that he was almost ready to go with? I remember this is after I started training I really had no idea who Steve was and Alex was at Lobster Man's training one day he goes uh, watch Raw tonight uh, Steve's gonna be on he's gonna be Raven's driver or bodyguard in this uh, match and so I'm like I didn't really know who Steve was but I was like okay excited and watched and then it was Tori from DX who ended up being with Raven for that period of time yeah <laughs> Steve got fucked yeah. for Tori yeah yeah just the, the crazy things it, I'm trying to remember now, there were so many times, so many false starts where he's like, yeah, I'm going to be on. They told me I'm going to be on now. And then, you know, with each successive one, it was, well, they said I'm going to be on this week, but pff, come on. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think we both know now this is probably just a rib, you know, that he would always tell me, yeah, they're ribbing me. They're ribbing me. It's going to take a toll on you fucking mentally, too, when, they're, oh, when yeah. you're getting that sort of feedback you were talking about. And now you're debuting, you're not debuting, you're debuting, you're not debuting, you're debuting, you're not debuting. It's, and yep. sucks. <laughs> yeah, and I mean and and it was right around that time after a bunch of those false starts that they gave him the option of going down to uh Puerto Rico or going to ECW. It was right around that time, I want to say. And um yeah, and he's he chose to go down to Puerto Rico. And okay, so let's get back into the mofo thing. How did yes. how did that really uh develop? He started doing the mofo gimmick in Memphis. The mofo from Memfo. The the mem yeah the mofo from Memfo. That's what it, yeah. that was his catchphrase. <laughs> and um, he he said he just came up with it one day, just messing around. He was goofing around because we would always anybody that was ever in a car with him, we'd always just do stupid stuff just to pass the time. Like yeah, we, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. That's <laughs> cool. <laughs> I've done that in forever. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we would just just stupid stuff to pass the time we would try to do freestyle raps and just dumb you know stuff you do to kill time and make your buddies laugh and he just came up with that one time in a car ride i can't remember who he was with but um yeah it just it was just one of those stupid things and then he decided to use it on a show and it started to get over you know kind of just an accidental thing that people picked up on and yeah it just got over and then eventually he started changing his look he he worked the look I say he all he did was put on a bandana on his head. He still wore his singlet and stuff. Then he got gear made with mofo on the side and yeah, started wearing the Red Sox jersey and yep. stuff with it. Yeah, so and he came up with a backstory. Came up with a whole backstory that couldn't be any further from what Steve actually was. <laughs> yeah, what tell, tell the backstory? Was it like his dad was like an alcoholic and used to beat him, and he's you know and. He's from, what, the Combat Zone in Boston, Mass, and blah, 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 and all this other stuff, and that kind of made him the hardened kid that he was, when really his dad was Cookie Monster that loved him very much. <laughs> he was from New Hampshire. Yep. <laughs> Cookie Monster. His, the, uh, it, yeah, his dad sounded like, like <laughs> his voice. His, his <laughs> voice, when he talk, if you talked to his dad on the phone, he was Cookie Monster. He sounded just <laughs> and, like Cookie and Monster. He really did. And that's what we always and, said. His dad was. His dad was like the nicest guy. Um, and his mom, too. They were just like the most supportive parents to him. But yeah, that was the backstory he came up with. And um, and they just, he just ran with it. So let's get back to him being stuck in Puerto Rico. I remember was it Brian's best friend, Bruce Pritchard. Did he, he call Bruce Pritchard and said, hey, what's going on? 
Do you remember that? What <sighs> happened there? How they found out that he was down there for almost two years? Yeah, I want to say he called the office because he was just at his wit's end. And down there, just to pass time and stuff like that, I mean, I don't think I'm breaking any uh, news here, but back in the early 2000s, late 90s, there there was a lot of prescription pill usage yes. in, uh, back, you know, in pro wrestling. So what guys would do to pass the time, down there anyway... And I'm not saying everybody, but just like some of the, you know, like Steve picked up on this habit and uh, you, you'd take somas, the muscle relaxers, and you would, um, and you'd drink because there was literally nothing to do down there if you were not from there. And in Puerto Rico, everybody really hated Steve, so he couldn't really like go you, out. You couldn't go out. No. <laughs> yeah. He couldn't, he was telling me stories. I was stir crazy because he wasn't able to really go anywhere or right. do anything because. Everybody in Puerto Rico still to this day thinks that it's real and really hate the heels and yes. it'd be riots. So he was like kind of confined to his yeah living it, quarters. Yeah, you hear about I, things about people throwing batteries. That was like the big thing. Yeah, I was yeah. I was actually one of my first riots I was ever in was in Puerto Rico at a riot that Steve caused. <laughs> um, yeah, but the, but that's no what Brian says true. Like he couldn't go out because anywhere he went he would get. You know, he was afraid to go out to eat. Like, he'd always wear a baseball hat. By this time, he had grown out his hair, and he'd gotten the uh, hair extensions put in, so he had this, like, long braid kind of thing. And he'd have to put it up in his hat so that he could go out and be kind of in disguise so people wouldn't recognize him because if you'd go out to get a bite to eat somewhere and somebody recognized him, he was afraid people were going to spit his food, you know, do that kind of stuff. Like, it was it was scary. when I Like, when I was down there with him, we would sit in the apartment all day, play video games, and when it would get kind of middle of the day, we'd go to the gym because that's when it was really dead there. And he'd actually found a gym. It was like kind of like a private type of gym. So it was only like certain people could go there. It wasn't like a public type of thing. And we'd have to go work out there, but we'd have to go between a certain time because that's when there was like the least amount of people around, you know, outdoors or whatever. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty scary sometimes because... Yeah, he, he was. He was so hated. But it's because he was good at what he did. You know, that's, right. what, that's what he's supposed to be. And we had to be careful because when I was down there, I was a baby face. And, you know, in the interest of kayfabe and everything, we still had to be kind of, you know, not seen together very often. But so it was, it was kind of challenging because I'm staying with him because we're best friends or whatever. And we couldn't really go out and do anything. And when I wasn't there, he was just pretty much by himself and he couldn't go out and do anything because he was afraid to not. Af- well, yeah, I, I, actually, it's safe to say he was afraid to go out on his own because if somebody were to jump him or whatever, what's he going to do? Right. You know, if you got a group of people coming up to you and because you're the mofo, they're going to kick your ass. What are you going to do if you're by yourself? You know? So yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty crazy, but I, I'm going to tell you the riot story because this is a good one. Please, please. This is a good one. <laughs> and, and this, this was wow. So in Puerto Rico, you had separate locker rooms and we were in Carolina and they'd always run these empty, so- uh, not, well, they were empty obviously then, but there were <laughs> soccer stadiums. And this particular night, I don't know why, but there was a really big house, which was cool to work in front of a lot of people. So the main event was happening, and it was uh, it was Savio Vega. It was all the Bariqua guys, the guys that were in the Bariquas. And they, I can't remember who they were beating down, but they were beating down somebody in the ring. And the baby faces were supposed to, you know, run in to kind of make a save, and they all had the Singapore canes. So we we all had to feed for cane shots or whatever. So Steve had flown his girlfriend, Carol, down to uh, Puerto Rico that week just so they could, you know, see each other, whatever. And she was at the show that night. So he came out in disguise, if you will, you know, with braids up and his hat pulled down and wearing like a like a jacket just to try to 
you know, go and sit with her for a few minutes just to see how she's doing, say hi, let her know, okay, you know, show's almost done, that, that kind of thing. Well, he's with her in the stands, and somebody recognized him. And you get this violent beat-down angle going on in the ring, and people are already heated. They're already hot. They're already throwing stuff. And Steve is with his girlfriend in the stands, just kind of trying to be low-key and kayfabe, and somebody spots him, and somebody throws a drink. And and it hits his girlfriend. So he, of course, the immediate, you know, Steve didn't have a short fuse at all. That's no, no, there was that. no fuse there. <laughs> we could do a show on on that. My God. Um, so Steve, you know, immediately picks up somebody else's drink, throws it back at him, and then everybody. It, it, it was amazing because I was down selling in the ring, and I look over and you just see like this whole section of people. And I know we're on a podcast. So you can't, I'll try to describe it as best I can. But you just see like a wave of people start going in one direction towards the heel dressing room. Like it was amazing just seeing the sea of people. It was probably like, you know, 75, 80 people, but they all just start going in that direction. And then you look around and everybody starts coming down and they're all going that way because they're trying to get to Steve. Steve had grabbed Carol. When he saw this happen, he grabs her and they run into the heel dressing room. Shut the door. People are beating on the door. So <laughs> Savio, he, he was getting beat down or whatever. He comes to, he comes over, he starts telling all of us, all right, get up, follow me, follow me. We got we to gotta help them. We got to help them. I'm like, what the hell's going on? People are, you know, throwing, you know, it's, it's amazing. Anybody ever been in a mosh pit? It's like a mosh pit. People throwing fists and, and kicking and screaming and there's drinks flying. I'm getting hit in the head with cubes from drinks flying over my head. And we had to go, all the baby faces had to get, through the people to the heel dressing room, in order to calm the crowd down, we had to get into the dressing room, pull some of the heels out, and start beating on them so the people would back off because they see, oh, okay, the they're guy, handling, they're it. handling it, they got them. Yeah. It was unbelievable to me. I was so it, it was like the adrenaline was there, but you're just like, oh my god, I'm gonna die. Like what's going on? Because there, there's so many people, you can't. What are you gonna do? You know. Yeah. So so I'm just following. I'm following Savio and a couple of the other baby faces. And yeah, you know, we just grab a heel. Okay. Start punching yeah. the heel, and they're all just you know wildly selling. So the people are backing away, and then people start to calm down or whatever. And then we we get all the heels in the ring, and we just start beating them down. And everybody's going nuts. And then you know eventually they powder and they leave, but we all stand victorious. Right. Which wasn't booked at all. It was supposed to be <laughs> booked for heat, but we had to because we had to defuse the riot that was going. It was amazing. And this is what the year two thousand. This was like two thousand. Yeah, primitive days. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, yeah. so, the, so he ran out of Puerto Rico just across the water back to the back to states, the states, and he ended up back in Memphis. But it was a Memphis Championship Wrestling this time, right? Yes. I think it was his first day back. He yeah. beat K-Quick for the heavyweight title there. That, that's if, right. If I remember the story correctly. Is that the truth? Yeah. Yeah. Get in. I see what you do. Dude, that Ooh. match got rowdy. They <laughs> 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 moved some things. So, so yeah, he was, in, he was back in Memphis in 2001, I think, for a little while. And I guess the mofo thing really started to kick up. He was paired with Victoria. They had a little gimmick going on. And so... <laughs> What? What? Okay. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> so he was there for a little while. And uh, do you remember anything from this time when he went back to Memphis? Yeah. He just, it, this is when he really, um, this is when he was drinking a lot. <laughs> okay. He just, um, so I'd get a lot of calls late at night after a show and he'd be just like miserable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> miserable for lack of a better word because he just felt like he was getting jerked around, you know? 
I remember this was always the, every night. Al, what do I got to do, man? What do I got to do? What do I got to do? I don't know what I got to do. I'm t- I, what do I got to do? I don't know. What, I don't know how to get over. What do I got to do? And it was just like nonstop for like an hour and a half every night because he was just at his wit's end. He didn't know what to do to get over. He has this gimmick that's getting over. It's getting him heat. All the boys love it. You know, if you're getting over with the boys, that obviously the people are going to love it too. And the people were always, you know, behind it. They chant along with the catchphrase, even though he was a heel, and they, and they and he would still was able to get heat and everything. So you're talking about getting over with the office. Yeah, get, yeah, yeah, yes. I'm sorry. Yeah, getting over with the office. He he just he didn't know what to do it because it, he just and whatever he did, whatever he tried, it was. He still thinks, and this is kind of what he ended up training people for was. He still thinks the office looked at him and thought he was the same person that they saw when they first signed him, which was like a, a RVD clone type right. of thing. Yeah. And so I remember later on, I was training with him, Brandon Locke and stuff. He never wanted the office to see someone until they were he thought what was ready to kind of be thrown on TV because he didn't want that same type of stigma yep. to be stuck on anybody else. Once they see you this first time, that's how they're going to think of you forever. And I think that kind of stuck with him for a long time. Yeah, that was the yeah. knock in the dirt sheets was that he was a Rob Van Dam kind of clone. Which couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, really, all he did was a moonsault. Was the three moonsaults the, the in the three, row, right? The three Bottom, moonsaults. Middle, top. Yeah, and, and wasn't that a Christopher Daniels thing? Isn't that, isn't that who did it? I, I, I don't know. Super crazy. I mean, he had a ponytail, he had a ponytail and a singlet. He had a ponytail and a singlet. I mean, that's really it. Uh, we, were, we mentioned it earlier. If, if you watch some of his dark matches that are on YouTube, you could just see how talented and how good he is there, and he's not. he's just being a guy. He's not being mofo he's not being he's not being a gimmick he's just being a guy that's out there having a dark match and and you could see just how good he was there and then you watch that and you go wow that that guy's pretty good and then imagine adding the character the gimmick a couple of years of extra seasoning and working in puerto rico working in memphis and getting all that extra knowledge behind you imagine how good he got after you watch him on like one of those first dark matches he had and it's uh, like what Brian said. I think that's what he thought is the office just saw him as that guy who was, yeah, you know, good hand, but he looks like Rob Van Dam. So, eh. and he doesn't moonsault. So, eh. right. what are we going to do? And we already got a Rob Van Dam. So, what are we going to do with him? Right. When exactly. it was like, gee, you know, watch the freaking Memphis TV. Yeah, he had really transformed. And and it's it's not the same guy at all. He, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, he, at that point, he would do the dark matches at, you know, Raw, SmackDown, then he'd do Heartland TV on the Wednesday or yep. the, and the OVW TV on the Thursday and then the yep. house shows on Friday and Saturday, Sunday off, and then do that six-day work week all over again, even yep. just as a developmental guy is doing those six days a week thing. Yep. Yeah, so you talked about Heartland and OVW. That's where he went next because, and and that we talked about is the year two thousand one, and that's of course when WCW folded, and so a bunch of WCW guys ended up going to Heartland, uh, Heartland Wrestling Association with Les Thatcher, and that's kind of where Steve went. Did he have an option of whether to go to Heartland or OVW? He was doing both. He, he, he was, yeah, he was okay. going to both right yep. from the start. Yeah, yep. okay. He Downstairs. decided to live in Cincinnati, but yeah, he but he was still working both. I have a DVD downstairs that Harry Aaron made for me that has Steve's first match ever at OVW, and he squashes Randy Orton in like two minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yes. He cuts a promo on him, says, I know you're you're a great second generation star, and your dad was this, and he loved you, and my dad used to beat me, and blah, 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 and then he just beats the bag out of Randy Orton and squashes him. (laughs) It's pretty awesome. So yeah, OVW, and he's back with Jim Cornette, the guy that kind of basically was his advocate to get him signed. How was that experience for him? Did you talk to him about that? Um, you talked to him every day, so yeah, sure you did. He was having fun. 
because he got to be with Jimmy again, but it was only you know a couple times a week. And he liked he liked Les Thatcher too. He he actually had a lot of respect for Les. But I just remember he was just again by this point he's been under contract for this was a 2001 right 2001 yeah. 2002. It's been almost four years that he's been under contract and just kind of felt like he was spinning his wheels because he's doing everything they ask him to do. Didn't complain about anything, you know. He just not not to them anyway, you know. Obviously, um, but yeah, he was just felt like he was spinning his wheels because it was. Al, what do I got to do to get over? What do I got to do? What do I got to do? I don't know what to do. What these these ah this, these fucking guys? You know, like that was. <laughs> sorry for the no, no, F-bomb, no, but you know that's that was the conversations we would we would end up having every night because he was just so frustrated because you have all these guys coming in. I remember the boys there made up T-shirts. Undertaker was doing his decade of destruction gimmick. They made T-shirts for Steve. Decade of developmental was, was on the back. Like, like that was that was Steve's gimmick there, like with the boys, because he'd just been there so long. And everybody that was there, that's getting called up before him, is going, "How is this guy not on TV? How?" Because he was the one showing every, you know, giving everybody pointers, telling every, you know, he wasn't one of those guys that was just looking out for himself. And I think that maybe, and it sucks to say this, but I think that maybe that was one of the things that didn't get him to that next level, was because he was so selfless. Because he wanted everything to be good, not just himself. He wanted everybody around him to be good because he knew if everybody around me is good, that's going to make me that much better as well. And he just cared about the overall quality of the show and of wrestling. So I think that maybe him being a little more selfish might have been to his benefit as far as getting further, but it would have been to everybody that was around him's detriment because they wouldn't have gotten to get any of his knowledge and, you know. Was part of it all the WCW guys that came into developmental and kind of moved up and stuff like that? I'm sure that that didn't help his cause any because now you have people that had TV time, that had a name, if you will. Um, Mike Sanders, fans. above yeah, average Mike yeah. Sanders. He was yeah. a big... <laughs> he, and he And he was actually, uh, uh, he and Steve were pretty close. And oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Like uh, he hung out with him a lot. He hung out with um, Sean O'Hare. He was really close friends with... Um, ECMO and uh, and Maddie, the uh, yeah. the two guys, um, the uh, what were they? Three, Rose, three minute warning. Yeah, Rosie, Rosie and Jamal, Jamal, yeah. Jamal and later Umaga and uh, Johnny, superhero and jo- training. The Bull. Yep, Johnny the Bull. Yep. There, so there was like a little click of about seven or eight of them that would always hang out together. And um, so there was no resentment there with like those guys coming in and taking spots. I guess if there was, he never expressed it to me right at all. And I think that he would have if he was. I mean, he, he'd get, he would never be like, you know, fuck this guy getting called up before me. He was never like that. It was always, what do I got to do? Right. What do I got to do? Like, yeah, he, told he me, got uh, it. You know, he understood. Sorry to cut you off. No, I mean, fine. he got it. He understood. Okay. You know, they, they've been on TV. So obviously they're going to have a little bit more of an impact if they go to TV before me. He got that. He, he wasn't upset about it, but he was just like, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? So they can see. You know, what do I got to do? Going along the what do I got to do, Steve told me a story of one of his few interactions with Vince. Uh, I was just in the hallway at TV, <laughs> and Vince was like, so, Steve, wh- what are we going to do with you uh, to get you on TV? And Steve had been joking around backstage that because he does all the dark matches that he was going to change his name to Too Hot for TV, Steve Bradley. <laughs> yes. And he said Vince did the, just like in the in that movie, Oh, too hot for TV. <laughs> too too hot for TV, Steve Bradley. And he's like, oh, I'll, I'll think about that, Steve. That's, that's pretty good. I'll think about that. And just to just never be 
heard about again or talked about again. <laughs> yep. But he said, yeah, him and Vince had that interaction. Of, that's the one thing he kind of pitched straight to him. But he pitched a million and one things to the office. Remember that oh, he, God, he pitched yeah. he was going to, uh, he wanted to be a murderer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and Tell the story, please. The, he said, um, anytime that they wanted to write someone off of television or when they were going to not use them anymore, when they were getting let go, <laughs> he would murder them. <laughs> <laughs> so it was him that blew up Vince's limo. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> we'll never yeah, know. He'd be the one that gets all of them Can't be TV. on TV if I'm dead. <laughs> <be the> guy. <laughs> My God. Yep. That, that's a, like, kind of a genius thing, though. It's just, it just shows you like the uh-huh. the mind, how that works. Do, do, well, you guys, he, do you guys have any idea like so? What, like, what, how long the deal are at this point like how many times did he did he resign over the course of at this point or was it just one deal that they had signed him to a long-term deal initially his first deal um was for i want to say it was a year but when he got to memphis and it was like it wasn't for much i know in the bruce pritchard podcast they never talk about money but but i actually <laughs> i actually know how much money he was making so maybe i'll share Ooh. Um, <laughs> no um he uh, I'm the first he's deal, solid for the era not at, maybe not <laughs> at first well i mean if you think about it if you're a 20 year old kid and this is all you want to do is wrestle you know 750 dollars a week is pretty good if that's all you have to do is work out and wrestle and yeah. he's still allowed to do indies on the weekends and stuff um so that's what his first deal was for and i know that they renegotiated after he went to memphis and signed him for i want to say it was a three-year deal and first year was 125 second year was 150 third year was 175 that's, so that's one like mid card guys i think and that was pretty I, I'm like, man, you're rich, you know, because because I, you know, I'm a 19 year old kid, and you know, Steve was only a year older than I was, and and St- Steve and, wasn't a spender. He didn't. He, really, he wasn't really a spender I, unless by video games. Yeah, video games. That was it, you know. So he's like, ah, I'm I'm, I'm going to be pretty well off. And he was he just just to show you how he was with his friends. Just a, a quick sidebar. Anytime we would go out to eat, go to the movies, anything, it was always I because I'm not looking for a free. Uh, you know, I like to contribute my take care of my own self but anytime i'd reach into my pocket to get some you know money to pay for myself he'd always stop me i got you kid <laughs> and, and then, he, and then the, the best this is a, just a little story uh and and it's a podcast so people are gonna be able to see this but i'm gonna do it for you guys the best memory i have of this particular type of thing we're in a gas station going to a show and anytime like we go to a show we'd always stop at the gas station get waters uh a soda and um one of the small, like Aquafina bottles or Poland Springs bottles, we'd dump it out and we'd buy dip and we'd dip on the way Co- to the show. Co- Copenhagen, Copenhagen long cut for Steve. For me, it was skull pouches because I'm a wimp. Um, so we get up to the cash register. I go to get my wallet out to pay for my stuff. He stops. I got you, kid. And he goes like this and he makes a big uh, bicep pose to the, to the cashier. Just randomly for no reason. <laughs> I'm just looking at him and I'm going, what? <laughs> so yeah, just a funny little side story. But yeah, that was uh, that was that was the deal that he had, um, and it wasn't him doing it. They called him and said, "We want to put you under a long-term deal, three years. You know, and this is the money." And obviously, if he would have ever got called up to TV and there was merchandise and stuff, he would have made a lot more than that. So. So what's the deal with developmental say you get like was it fifty grand or something like that? I think it's better than it was like I, I know for the majority of probably the time like guys like the three of us were trying to make it, it was probably I think it was the like five hundred a week. Five hundred a week, twenty six grand a year or something like that. 
which uh, but I, I know from when Max Bauer got signed, I know that the deals are, are better now. And I think since a performance center, they've realized that they have to invest in it more. But I, the thing I still think they do is they take advantage of people who just want to do this and who love wrestling and who came to the indies. I think those types of guys get, still get paid less than former NFL, former bodybuilder, former strongman, former you know bikini model, whatever, like the people who... They kind of get from the outside. I, I still think those types of people make more money. I, that's an assumption on my part. That's not, I don't know firsthand, but I, I think it's a pretty safe assumption. Yeah. So you guys are saying that he is still going to TV every week. Yes. When he's working Heartland and OVW and everything like that. Yep. So, I mean, we're getting to July of 2002 when he was released from his WWE, maybe it was E at this point, deal. Yeah, they had already gotten the F out. Yes. <laughs> so, so what was yeah. the circumstances uh, around him leaving WWE? He had hurt his knee maybe six, seven weeks prior. I, I should. He'd hurt his knee, but um, he'd been working on a bum knee for a long time, and he okay. was always afraid to get it fixed because he didn't want to you know, miss get time. released or miss yeah. time or anything like that. So he... Um, was taking time off or whatever. And at this time, they were cutting a bunch of people. This is because they had the WCW guys and all that, and they were just doing massive cuts because I think the, I want to say the invasion thing was done, and they were, you know, they, they had so many guys that they were just starting to cut. <laughs> I mean, and, um, yeah, they always cut, like, they're always cutting you know, people. Big cleanouts every once in a while, you know, a yeah. period of time seems like that's still like a thing, but yeah. Yeah. And, and I think he'd survived like two or three cuts at this point. So he was like, Okay, like every time it, the rumors were coming up, it, I, that would be the concern on the phone was, am I going to get cut? You know, and after he survived the first one, he's like, all right, I'm still safe. So that's good. And then after the second one, he's like, all right, still safe. Good. After he survived the third one, he's like, this is when he was really just frustrated. Like, what, what the frick do I have to do? Like, this is okay. I'm still here, but I'm not doing anything. Like, I'm just going to TVs. I'm getting other guys better is essentially what he was doing. And he knew it by that point, you know, I'm just here to make everybody else better. And he loved wrestling and he loved doing it, but it was, he was hurting at this point. Cause like I said, he'd been working on a bum knee for a long time. And he finally said, I need some time off cause my knees messed up. So I think that when they did that next round of cuts, they just said, okay, well, this guy's hurt. We're not doing anything with him. So we'll let you go. When I got that phone call, I was like, oh man. And he goes, Al, I'm going to tell you right now. It's like a weight lifted off my shoulders. And you hear this story from people that have been released like recently. And, and he told me that. like It's like a weight's been lifted off my shoulders. I'm going to come home. I think I'm going to open up a school. I think I want to start running shows. You want to help me run shows? I'm like, yeah, okay. Sounds good. you know. But yeah, he was, at least to me on the phone, he was fine with it. He was almost relieved that he was just, he could be done with it. Because he just, by the end, his experience was just not a good one just all frustration for him so so steve is coming home back to new hampshire and i think it's where we're going to cut it off this week on the wrestling podcast about nothing and we will be back to talk about his run in new england with the wfa with his wrestling school and guys really appreciate you being here this week brian fury the firebrand hey thanks for having me. alex arion the golden greek always a pleasure and it's neprowrestling.com for where we are now the yes. new england yes. pro wrestling academy and uh, we'll be back with more next time. Okay, we would love to have your feedback. Every week we do something called Merv Griffin Time, a talkback segment where we interact with you, the listener. 
So tweet us at the WPAN on Twitter with your take on this week's episode, your thoughts on our discussion about Steve Bradley. Use the hashtag WPAN. We'll mention you and your tweets later this week because every Thursday, it's an all new, all different episode of the wrestling podcast about nothing on BDA radio. We are overhauling that podcast, if you heard it last week, to give you more of what you love. You can vote on what we discuss week to week, plus we'll still be doing the Dirt Sheet Shuffle monthly and a lot more surprises to come. Also, you can download past episodes of this podcast. As they come off the NAI Network feed, they get added over there. It is all on the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing feed on your favorite podcast platform, where you can find it all on BDARadio.com. Right, Brian? Yes. I like the new overhaul. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of the Dirty Shuffle every week, so I'm happy that uh, you're switching it up. Wait, wait. I got the wrong Brian here. Yes. What hi. happened? Oh, hello. You lift your head up from your computer here, oh. and you'll see that it's a different Brian here. Well, I mean, a Brian's a Brian, right? Well, not necessarily. <laughs> well, yes, thank you for sticking He's around. He's from New Hampshire, but now you're sitting with New Hampshire's favorite son. Thank you. Yes, and uh, yeah, the Kingpin had to uh, skedaddle. The, uh, his daughter has a commitment. Daddy, daddy duties. Daddy duties. So that sounds a little weird. But <laughs> we have the firebrand with us here to close out the rest of this podcast. Correct. And uh, let's talk about the voicemails for a second there, firebrand. Yes. We want to hear from you. Get your voicemails in. We will play them on the podcast. Call 401-584-9726. That's 401-584-9726. W-P-A-N. You haven't been calling lately, Brian. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I've been such a regular on the show at this point in time. <laughs> you, uh, you feel comfortable in your slot as the number one guest on the wrestling podcast about nothing? <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> I don't really call if something gets me fired up or if I feel like I have like, a completely different opinion on something that you guys have to say. And so far, I, over the last couple of weeks, I haven't really had to. Well, I, I have that number saved in my phone as W-P-A-N voicemail, so I don't have to remember the number. I just... Press that single button and give it a call. Or ask Siri to call for me. Hopefully everyone who's listening to this right now does the exact same thing. Just put it in your phone, save it, and when you're all fired up like the firebrand is, you call up the voicemail I'm line. I'm driving, and as soon as the podcast ends, I just I pick up the phone right you there go, and call a lot of times. Go. Yeah, I'm fired up. Like, ugh. But no, I mean, I. Well, you guys just did the worst ring gear. Yes. Jeff Jarrett was the first person that popped to my mind right really? away. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, that was the uh, the Kingpin's uh, number one choice. Pick. So, I mean, you know, Brian's think alike. Great minds. They, they, I guess they do. Do you have any other ideas for worst ring gear? Anything else I pop mean, up it's, that we didn't talk about? That was by far the first one that came to my head. And then as we were talking, you, you were bringing up tag teams. As soon as you said tag teams, well done popped in my head. Oh, okay. Because they used to, have, you know, they had the thongs over the the singlets. Yes. They wore, and they had a big like big lips. Yeah, kissy lips. That <laughs> and, said, but well they're done. I don't understand why how that fits. Come on, you don't get it. No. Well, anyway, think about it a little bit. Actually, I have no idea why they did it either. <laughs> but yeah, so when you said tag teams, that was the first team that popped into my head. It's a good uh, one. Yeah, there's, there's, I, d- I don't understand why some people wrestle in what they do, like Zodiac, right? When Bruce Beefcake was Zodiac. Yes. I don't know. Yes, no. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what, what his gear was. It was just the Bruce Beefcake's gear just with face paint on, right? It was pretty much all yes. was different. Yeah, and this is coming from a guy who wrestled in a red mesh shirt earlier in his I career. Never <laughs> <laughs> I never wrestled in a red mesh shirt. However, for my first couple of years, I did wear some leopard print uh, trunks. Where'd you get those? Maverick Wild. All right. Maverick they were his? Wild. or he, he, oh, yeah. They were his. 
he had all kinds of ridiculous stuff and trunks and stuff. But yeah, the uh, the leopard print ones were my calling card for a long period of time. <laughs> all right. Well, let's let's get into this week's promo about nothing, Brian. That's why you're here. But before we get into that, let's talk about our sponsor. People ask me, what do you mean, BDARadio.com? What does the BDA stand for? Bliss on Divas announced. All right. <laughs> yes, Firebrand, the big news is out. Alexa Bliss is joining the cast of Total Divas next season. Can't wait. You fired up? You ready? Oh, I'm ecstatic. I know, I mean, I know Mike Mills is. He's the only one I know that watches the show. He says his, his wife makes him listen. His wife makes him listen. Uh, wakes him makes watch, him I should, watch, I should right? say. Yeah. You know a little thing or two about that, right? You watch some things because your wife makes you watch? Yeah, like uh, Harry Potter, like Pirates of the Caribbean. So good uh, stuff. Wonder Woman. Okay. Well, that's, a good, that's a good movie. Have you seen that yet? No, I haven't seen it yet. No? It's, it's no spoilers. A good film. Uh, but Mike Mills, he's the Kingpin's rival. He's your rival as well, of course, because... I heard one woman's too skinny. That's what I heard from a certain <laughs> someone, yeah. She wasn't really happy about that. Go on with the sponsor. They're paying the bills here. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, it's it's news. This is news. Total Divas. Yes. I mean, but it's not news you'll find on BDA Radio. What you will find is the most unique commentary on mixed martial arts and pro wrestling on the internet. They don't break news, they break the news with their wild commentary regarding MMA and wrestling. Head over to BDARadio.com and check out all the latest news on UFC, Bellator, WWE, and much more. Achieve pure contact sports bliss at BDARadio.com. Right? <laughs> Ready to move on? It's good. You, that was good. Okay. You've had worse ones. You've had better ones. That one's right in the middle somewhere. Well, I'll take it. The promo about nothing, Brian. Uh, it's from the year 2000. Actually, the last time we were sitting here talking to Avery Forrestal, uh, we talked about WCW, World Championship Wrestling, in the year 2000. And we're going to do it again. Because it was so good to us last time. Oh, brother. Uh, I actually took a little creative license here, Brian. This isn't necessarily a promo, per se. I would classify it more as a vignette. Oh, a vending machine vignette? <laughs> no, that's something else uh, closely associated with this building. Okay. But uh, no, it is from Nitro in the year 2000. And I saw this today, and I thought we had to talk about it. It is... Sid Vicious, Psycho Sid. It's gold already. <laughs> in the year 2000, this week's vignette slash promo about nothing. Hey, Moses, where's my car, man? Right, space 22, man. 22. 22! Oh, man! Oh, Yep, that's it. <laughs> what? What was that that he <laughs> ran over to? That was his his limo, I believe, that was uh, basically crushed into a ball, into Com a yeah, cube. Compacted and crushed. Yes, uh, by Goldberg, I believe, earlier in the night on Nitro. And uh, that was how a normal human being would respond so, to that. Wait a minute. Did he know? As soon as they said 22... Did he know that that was where his car was? He sure seemed that way. <laughs> or did he know it was crushed already? Because as soon as it said 22, he took off running. Yes, towards that. 22! 
I like how he was wearing his jeans and his vest that he wears to the ring uh, backstage as well. That's all he was wearing. It was yeah, pretty a, fantastic. I mean, you you wrestled in jeans for a while. I did. That's how you came to the building, right? But I had a shirt on underneath my leather jacket. Oh, okay. When I went out to the ring, I didn't. But that's how you showed up with the leather jacket. That's the only the... difference is shirt. Okay. Took it off, put it on. <laughs> Why me? <laughs> Why? <laughs> I saw. I mean, like I said, I kind of took some license here, but I that was just ridiculous. <laughs> Why? <laughs> and if you if you if when you watch the video, you'll see the credits at the bottom. That's the close to the episode. Yes, that's that's how you go off the air, buddy. That is leaving them in suspense. <laughs> can't wait till next. Can't wait till Thursday on Thunder to see what happened. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, the. Uh, do you remember any? Uh, well, I mean, should we talk about your early promos? <laughs> no. No, we should not. You could probably find one online of me at like the Kowalski tournament that is horrendous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was never, they were never my strong suit. I got better towards the end, but man, at the beginning, you might as well have been talking to anybody on earth other than me and get something more entertaining and, and better quality because, man, they were bad. When it comes to uh, bad acting, would this be. Up there among the worst that you've seen, in in in, in general, or in both. Yeah, this this was pretty rough. He threw his his bag down, yes. both hands to the side of his head, looked up at the at the sky. Why me? <laughs> Why? Because that's what I would say if my limo. Who I probably don't even own this limo. He's probably just rented it or had somebody drive him there. Yeah, freaking out. I hope the um, driver isn't still inside. Yes, that would that, be that would not be good. That would not be good at all. A lot of limo action going on in professional wrestling during that period of time. Yeah, a lot of windows broken, things crushed, just appearing at the arenas, exploding. That is the Monday Night Wars. When I was a kid growing up, this is a true story. Whenever I saw a limo driving or in town. In my head, swear to God, it was a wrestler or Vince McMahon inside. <laughs> Every single time when I was growing up, oh, that's Vince, oh, that's this guy, that's that guy. Every time. There's people like at their prom and you're just like... Probably, yeah. <laughs> Kids wondering why I'm like trying to look through the tinted glass and see who's inside. So have we talked about on this podcast your uh, affinity for the Attitude Era? It is horrendous why are you trying to get see this is where i would call up on the voicemail line and lose my mind because the attitude era stinks it stinks so bad the wrestling as you've heard tarzan talk about when when you could do the tarzan hates wrestling bits mm -hmm. it is terrible all the wrestling is gross nothing but 100 irish whips punches and kicks Every single character is pretty much the same. They come out, cut a terrible promo, say their catchphrase, do this bad match, say something on the mic after the match. When they try to say everybody was different and had their own life, they weren't. Every single person was the exact same because every single person did the same thing. When you give Val Venus the microphone before a match, or the Godfather the microphone before a match, or then Head Cheese the microphone before a match, all these <laughs> other people, and they all just say their same like catchphrase, how are they different in any way, shape, or form? They're all doing the exact same thing. <laughs> it's terrible wow attitude era sucks so bad but you were watching yeah, i loved wrestling so i still watched were you watching this sid uh, i don't recall this i was a i was a wwe guy okay. still am so i would watch the first hour of nitro raw came on i'd watch raw and then i'd switch over and catch the end so i, I might have saw this at some point in time the end but 2000 uh yeah i was always already wrestling at that point in time so i might have not been um 
into it as much because I had training on Monday nights when I first started. So I probably missed it. And DVR wasn't a thing. I didn't have TiVo. I probably set my VCR to record, but at that point in time, it was just Raw that I would watch. Right. Well, if you missed it, folks, uh, you can get the full picture through the link in the description of this podcast on the NAI Network. Okay. Did you record Raws ever? Yeah. I used, I think I recorded most weeks. I have so many tapes. Were you around. like me? I would like I would record every Raw on the same tape. So I'd rewind it and then say, all right, I'm going to record again. And then when you watch from the beginning, you'd have like weird distorted like four episodes all together <laughs> at the beginning, different clips before it finally got to the episode that you recorded. It's <laughs> all this old man stuff, Brian. No one understands <laughs> these days Young kids. about, about Young VHS kids tapes and stuff yeah. like that. I, I, I think I would record them and then say, oh, there's something on there that I have to keep. And then I keep recording. And I had so, I have this in my parents' attic. There's probably so many tapes that have no labels on them whatsoever. And it's just episodes of Raw. Awesome. That's fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, they could just probably just throw them in a you know, trash compactor and we're, we're done. Just like Sid's limo. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Yeah, bring it right back around. <laughs> uh, all right, Brian, you're a Brian. Yes. You're hitting the highways and byways, crisscrossing this great nation of ours, plying your trade as a professional wrestler. And do you have dates? No. Okay. We're well, moving on. Uh, <laughs> but you do have the New England Pro Wrestling Academy. You're here three days yes, a week. I'm here three days a week, Tuesday night, Thursday night, Saturday morning. Training, working, forming the future of professional wrestling in New England and across the globe. Wow. And that is anyprowrestling.com for a severely out-of-date website. At anyprowrestling on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. They can email you as well, right? Yep, they can email me right from the site or anyprowrestling at hotmail.com. Yeah, yes, hotmail. Yes, it still exists, folks, and I use it. Bring it back. I never left. What do you mean? <laughs> All right, well, before we get out of here, we have to talk about Booking the Territory. Booking the Territory Pro Wrestling Podcast. I was on that show years ago. You were as part of, when you were talking about the top prospect tournament for I Ring was, of Honor, right? And my, my feud with Taz. Really? How come you haven't talked about that? Go go listen to their episode. You know, since we're plugging them right now. Okay, go back check out the archives of Booking the Territory Pro Wrestling podcast. Right now, they're doing two podcasts a week. They're doing the Smoky Mountain Wrestling Review Show on Sundays, and their flagship show is on Thursdays. iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher. Google Play Music, wherever you get your podcasts, or mikemills.podbean.com for our friends over at Booking the Territory. Goddamn! <laughs> that's, that's your cornet? That is my that impression is... of Bruce Pritchard's yes. impression of Jim Cornette. Yes. It's kind of like the VHS taste. It loses quality yes. each time we're, someone else does we're it. We're doing the Inception version of my, of my uh, <laughs> impression. And checking the Boots Wrestling Podcast with referee Tony S. and Chip K. Fabe. They've changed the format. They're now doing uh, the history more of professional wrestling than the current stuff. Make sure to check them out on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and everywhere else. They're on Twitter, at referee Tony S., and at ChipKCTB, and you can find them on Facebook as well. The Rundown Wrestling Podcast with Adam and Jason. Uh, Jason, every Monday, is doing the Rundown Sit-Down, where he's talking to the greats of New England professional wrestling, including the Kingpin recently was on there. You can go and check that out. And on Thursdays, I believe Thursdays or Fridays, they are doing their flagship show, talking about the week in wrestling. Which is it? You don't even know? You plug in these guys, you don't know what days their podcasts are on? Well, they record over YouTube on Thursday nights, I believe, but then the episode doesn't get released 
till Friday. Okay. Right. So Fancy. that's I showed Fancy. you, didn't so you I? You guys are doing the Facebook Live. They're doing YouTube. There, there it is. A couple different mediums, if you will. Yes, and the Hurricane Rana. Let's get them uh, plugged real quick. They've taken the past couple weeks off. I hear they're going to be coming back stronger than ever. They're on Facebook Live, speaking of, every week Wednesday nights. Just look up Hurricane Rana Wrestling Podcast. to Put that in the search bar on Facebook. And they are at the Hurricane Rana on Twitter and all the usual podcast locations. All the podcast apps, you can find that podcast as well. And, of course, we hope you continue to listen to the NAI Network, all week long, DC and Doc Talk, The Pipe Bomb with McCool and Company, Rant with Ant, Late Night Liam, Indie Pop, and The Inside Perspective with, uh, I guess, Scotty Slade. He's a new dad now, so, you know, you cut him a little slack. Yes, I don't think we've congratulated Scotty on Congratulations. that. Congratulations. Congratulations to the Slade family on Baby Slade coming into the world. Baby Slade. Yes. Uh, Cutie. When visited her. Oh, really, sir? She- She's a cutie. Amazing. I didn't hold her. The missus did, because I don't hold brand new born babies. I feel like I'm going to break them. No. <laughs> after, after a couple of months when, they, when they're broken in a little, then I'll, then I'll hold one. But brand new, I get the really awkward arms as tense as could be. Yeah. Not, don't move at all. Thanks. So no, no, thank you. <laughs> well, uh, let me just transition back into, if you want to support our efforts, the best way to do so is buying our t-shirt. Pick up the Curtain Jerker WPAN t-shirt at ProWrestlingTees.com slash New Age Insiders. We're in the New Age Insiders store. We got our shirt. I think it's the first shirt you see. Uh, or you can visit Facebook.com slash the WPAN. That's our Facebook page. Hit that big blue Shop Now button on the top of the page. It will take you directly to our shirt in the New Age Insider store on Pro Wrestling Tees. Buy that. We really appreciate it. And are you still selling t-shirts or you're out of that game? Uh, yeah, I know I'm out of that game. Once I, once I left wrestling, I left all of that stuff behind. I mean, as much as I enjoyed the income, it was a lot of work for me to do. And so focus 100% on the school. So that's it. No more t-shirts for Brian Fury. Not even the school t-shirts? I'm actually in the process of getting some new ones made up, so maybe once those are up and ready, I'll, I'll have a plug for you. But but you wouldn't would you sell those outside of the of people? Course, why not? Let people, right. let people see it. All right, get the word out there. Makes sense to me. Uh, all right, we're just about to get out of here. Uh, When's the Mike Crockett T-shirt coming out? Oh Jesus, I don't know what the hell would be on that thing. Could what be, did it say? Anything? Referee extraordinaire. <laughs> Extended hiatus. Yeah, That's there some, we go. Something. All right, we'll have I to work that. on that. We need a T-shirt. Extended hiatus. It should just be you and me wearing it, I think. (laughs) But uh, we're going to get rid of some of these uh, curtain jerker shirts first before we get into all that garbage. But uh, we are back on Thursday. Well, you won't be, Brian, but I'll be back with the Kingpin Thursday. Is the poll up? No, usually on Monday evenings. All right. Uh, Right around the time people get out of work on Mondays. That's when the poll goes up for this Thursday. The Wrestling Podcast About Nothing on BDA Radio. Search WPAN on your favorite podcatcher or go to BDARadio.com. That's the easiest way to find us on any of these platforms. Then you can join us next Monday here for the WPAN on the NAI Network. Episode 61 is going to be part two, talking about Steve Bradley with yourself, Brian, and Alex Arion. I think this is one that everyone is going to want to tune into. Definitely. I can't wait to uh, talk some more about Steve and uh, get into his time after leaving the developmental system and his time here in New England. Yes, the WFA, a big part of the lore of New England wrestling. So make sure you're back here next Monday on the NAI Network for episode 61. Until then, he is the firebrand Brian Fury. The kingpin Brian Malonis is gone. I'm Mike Crockett. Big ups to Mucko. And thanks for nothing.